Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 18. We're going to discuss skills versus culture, as well as talk about our recent trip to northern Quebec. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. The best way to stay up with what we're doing in the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Hey, this is Tim Smith, and welcome to episode 18 of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft podcast. I'm joined today by Professor Ben Spencer and Christopher Russell. And we just returned from a week in northern Quebec with my friends David and Anna Bosom. Um, we go up there, uh, it's been about every other year. I've been going up there since the year 2000. <clears throat> and David and Anna are native uh, Cree, First Nations people in Canada. And we go up there um, for cultural trips. So they run a business um, focused on Cree cultural tourism. So I bring groups up and we go out to a remote bush camp and really experience their culture firsthand. Um, so we're just going to talk today a little bit about that experience, and you're going to hear firsthand reflections from these two guys uh, about that experience. Um, we're still a little bit punchy uh, because we spent about, th- about 12, 13 hours in the truck yesterday driving back. Um, highlights of the drive included... Uh, downtown Shibugamu. Uh, <laughs> Way up in Shibugamu. Up, up to Shibugamu. Uh, amongst other things, but uh, we managed to spend 12 hours up a week together and 12 hours back in the truck with a couple other guys, and, and we're still on speaking terms, so I consider that to be a huge, huge success. Um, anyway... Uh, talking about my experience up there, as I said, the first time I went up to Uje Bugamu was, I believe, in the year 2000 <clears throat> on a trip that was organized by one of my mentors, Raymond Ritzi, and was just a huge eye-opening experience to people who live in the bush, were raised in the bush. Um, you know, David and Anna, I think David told me once that he was 45 before he ever lived in a town. So, you know, the last generation of indigenous hunters in this part of the world to live as full-time hunters. Anyway, um, and I've been back. We've done summer trips up there where we're out in the bush canoeing. And uh, most of what we've done up there are winter trips where we're out. This past week was kind of unseasonably warm except for the first few days. But usually, you know, you get some bitter cold conditions and living life in that uh under those conditions with that extreme cold um is just a whole different animal than most people who spend a lot of time outdoors are used to uh not so much us because we spend between four and six weeks in in canvas wall tents every winter on various programs on the trail and and whatnot snowshoe expeditions but you know for the majority of people that sort of experience is very novel and unique anyway um so I'd just like to, you know, talk about the experiences we had up there, you know. So, um, you know, what, what really stood out for you, Ben? So I hadn't uh, 
I hadn't looked a lot into uh, what the experience was like. They've got a website. Um, you know, the the town of Bugamu has uh, a website where they talk a lot about it. But um, I hadn't looked at, at at any of that, so I kind of went in blind. Um, and what really, I guess, stood out to me was the the contrast between like this this uh, modernity kind of coming into the uh, the villages and like this transition like into the modern world for the Cree people. But also, on the other hand, like the the intense amount of knowledge they have, um, you know, I think um, some of David's sons um, had told me that they they were in the bush until like 1992. Um, that's really not that long ago. Um, Meaning they they had no village. They that's that was home, right? There was no there was no yeah. town. There was no nothing. They were living a sustenance life off off of their hunting lands up there. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you pull, you pull into Uje Bugamu and, uh, it's, it's a very, you know, it's small, but, but it's, it's a nice modern town. There are houses, um, there's a beautiful cultural center, there's a school, there's all this stuff. Um, and so you drive all through there. Um, and we went back to, what was the, the, the cultural village, maybe it was yep, called? Something? They have a, a cultural village with a lot of traditional structures, uh, traditional shelters, that sort of a thing mm-hmm. that, uh, you know. As Ben said, it's a modern little town that actually won the United Nations Award for Sustainability in 1995 because they have a central power plant that heats every building in town. Um, But yeah, the cultural village where we spent the first two nights on this trip is uh, traditional structures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our guy David was sick uh, the first day we got there, so we ended up... uh spending an extra day in Uje Bugamu, um, which turned out to be awesome because his sons took us out uh, hiking um, up onto a mountain that was uh, close to town. They they took us out there on snow machines a little of the way, and then we hiked up to the top of the mountain and had all these awesome views. And uh, his son, Thomas? Mm-hmm. It's Thomas, right? Thomas. Yeah. Thomas uh, cooked us um, some moose meat over the fire, and uh, so it, it was a really, really cool um experience but yeah that was that was probably the when we first got there that was the thing that stood out to me the most was this this cross between the old and the new how about you christopher uh kind of the same um the the interesting like dichotomy that popped up was the how everyone was very modern in the way that they interacted you know you saw everybody on phones and stuff like that but then whenever they talked to you about something that had gone on in the community they would talk about a person and they were all you know it was it's my brother's stepson or not stepson no i didn't that's that's the only term i didn't hear actually but you know it's my my sister-in-law's brother or something like that they're all very tightly knit even though up until recently they lived pretty far away from each other comparatively to how we live they were all you know they're all in the bush and so but they still have this really deep connection with each other that I'd never experienced in any kind of other town that I've been in. It was really interesting. One of the interesting things that struck me the first trip I took up there, and obviously it's been a positive experience for me because I keep going back after all these years, is this idea in 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 America in the sort of bushcraft or or I'll even use the dirty word survival community. <laughs> um, we have this idea of the lone wolf, right? And and that's sort of this thing that's put out there by by the media and whatnot. And it's always, you know, when we think of survival or survivalists or, or even living in the bush for any length of time, we always think of like men, not to, to gender stereotype, but usually we think of sort of men in the prime of their life out 
battling nature, right? Like as stupid as it sounds, but that's sort of like the the myth that's in all the Hollywood movies and whatnot. Um, and you know, it, it really is that. I think it really is a myth. Just about everybody I know that spent a good deal of time out in the backcountry you know, year in, year out. It takes a special kind of weirdo to be out there by yourself. And we've had this discussion numerous times around campfires that, yeah. and those weirdos are often held up as sort of the ideal, right? But, yeah. but that whole idea of the lone wolf is just about pure fiction for anything lasting longer mm-hmm. than like a week, you know? And I'm not saying like, don't go out and do solo trips. Cause I get, I do that and I get a lot of great insight from doing it. And I think they're super enjoyable, but just that whole idea of the the lone wolf out there battling nature is it's mm-hmm. basically asinine. Mm-hmm. And one of the awesome things about going to Uje is it's always about the community, right? It's never it's never about the and I'll use the other dirty word skills, the two dirty s words, survival and skills. And I'm on record in an old blog post saying that if you do something every day, it's not skills, it's culture. So, you know, that, that whole idea of learning survival skills or, you know, bushcraft skills is, is a bit kind of ridiculous and antiquated. Really what you're doing when you do it all the time is you're learning a culture. So the difference between what I would say if, if we went to say like a bushcraft meet or a survival rendezvous or something, you get a bunch of guys in the prime of their life. And, and then when, but when we go out to say a bush camp in Uje and, and the last day we were there this trip, um, you know, there's really elderly people out at the bush camp, you know, there's lots of mm-hmm. women there, there's babies and infants and kids crawling around on bow floors, you know, and, and we learned all about how to make rabbit skin robes for little kids and, and, um, but the, just that whole idea about it being a culture that embraces, you know, infants to the elderly, mm-hmm. both genders and all that. It's not just sort of like a, a macho boys club. Um, well, I think the, you know, kind of to really hit that point home um you know we we were there for a little over a week and we saw a lot of different uh ways of life up there but the thing that anna um anna Bosom wanted the the thing she finished with was showing us how the Cree take care of infants and i i you know with the way things were run up there which was kind of we just kind of did whatever they were doing that might have been an accident but it also it was it, you could tell it was something that was very important to her and she really wanted us to see how that all worked out and that's not a part of that's not a part of this world that we in this industry think about a lot because we're usually out talking about you know our full tang knives and all that yeah, kind of exactly. stuff no it's like it's all yeah. about like swimming and attacking a pirate ship while holding your knife in your teeth can we do that next semester wrestling alligators and all the other stupid crap that's uh that's on reality tv right but yeah. the reality is you know taking care of people taking care of the infants mm-hmm. taking care of the elderly and that's just you know if, if when it is culture when it's not just a sort of random one-off hey we're going to learn a skill today uh, you know that's that's part of life yeah, yeah. The other, you know, another kind of interesting thing, um, dichotomy that I noticed is like, you know, for people in that world, you know, who are in in the survival world or whatever, like most of the time, like a person you see on a television program or like a YouTube channel, like at worst, like they're risking like some wet boots or an uncomfortable night or like a damaged piece of gear. You know what I mean? Like the... It's labeled a survival situation, but like the, the stakes are just not that high. Like I gotta, in, I gotta interject here. Like you can't yeah. use that term anymore. Mike Sorrentino from Jersey oh. Shore 
copyrighted the word situation, so you, you got to use near-death occurrence or NDO. That's right. We do respect. <laughs> we really situation. should have like a, like a like our own version of a swear jar for <laughs> saying survival. Yeah. And then at the end, who knows? Survival situation. Ten dollars. <laughs> Just there you go. But yeah, so you know, you, on the other hand, you have like you know the Cree people. Again, they had no towns. They had no like the stakes are pretty high. Like if you don't bring back food, your family is going to be hungry. Like if you don't know how to live in the winter, the stakes are like incredibly. That's as high as the stakes get when you're actually living off the land. But again, for them, it's not skill; it's culture. And so I was just amazed and like really appreciated all these like really simple and elegant solutions they had to these like really dire problems um so for example like um just being able to move across the snow in winter time um that's a really serious thing if you live under five feet of snow for you know most of the winter um if anybody's ever tried to walk across that depth of snow in tennis shoes you're gonna have a really really hard time you just you can't survive that way you'll you'll die out there um you had an interesting on the ride up we stopped for a pee break in the middle of uh <laughs> northern quebec and and the road's plowed, and I think, Ben, you went about six inches too far I, off the I plowed section. I stepped a little bit too far off, and I was, I was up, to my, up to my chest in snow. Up to his armpits in snow. I had to get pulled out. There was no way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe with enough time, I could have, like, weaseled my way out of there, but I was stuck. Um, and so, that's a, again, that's a serious problem. But the solution they come up with, like, is basically some bent sticks and um, some animal hide that goes in, in between it. But they were able to take that craft like to, to this level of like, maybe perfection's not the right word, but I mean, it's, they're very, very good at what they do. Um, and while like the actual hand skills of doing that are difficult, the, the concept itself is incredibly simple. Um, and yeah, that's, that's one of those, they, you see that all the time up there, just these really simple solutions to these really dire problems. Um, but again, that's their culture. It's it's not like just a skill set for them. It's, yeah, and if like if I can just go off that, because um, yeah. we were talking about you know you're talking about simple solutions to stuff, and um, the, the, their solutions to stuff in in their culture as like a social unit is also was really fascinating to me. Um, uh, David told us this story about, or was it Anna telling us about the frozen? I think it was Anna, but Anna was telling us a story about a. Uh, you know, hard times with the Cree and how there was a family that used to come and visit this other family. And then for a while they just stopped coming and they walked over and uh, the father had frozen to death. And it was this, you know, when she, when she started telling us it, I thought it was some kind of ghost story, but what it really was, was this, uh, this sort of, uh, this fable that they have, I don't want to call it a fable, but they have the story that they have that they're, what they took away from that story was that, you need to build your houses closer together. So if someone else is struggling, you, you're aware of it and can help. And that, that blew my mind. Cause if, if that story was in an American version, it would have been like, they should have cut more wood before winter. You know, it would have been the grasshopper and the ant kind of story, but. Which I have no idea. I've never heard that. Story. The grasshopper and the ant. I don't know anything about it. Uh, ant works all year, stores up food, grasshopper hangs out, doesn't do anything. Winter comes, ants fine. Grasshopper dies. It's probably the shortest version of that story in the history of the world. Got but, it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of the sort of the morals of a lot of the stories were be respectful and mm -hmm. and respect the community. Yeah. You know, it was always sort of defer to the, the, the community. And I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of the 
uh, harshest punishments for indigenous peoples back in the day, especially in the north, and it may be universal, I don't know, I've only studied and spent time with people in the north, but if you committed a heinous crime, you were sort of banished from the group or the community and you had to go fend for yourself, which was basically a death sentence, right? If yeah. you think about the, the specialization of labor and everything you need to know to, to make all the crafts, to catch all the game, to make all the stuff to catch the game, and not go insane doing it, you know, and, and trying to do all that by yourself is super mm -hmm. challenging. And as I said, there are, there are people who've pulled it off, but it takes a special kind of weirdo to, to not want, you know, human companionship. Um, anyway. Yeah, these, you know, a lot of schools out there, and it's included, um, you know, it really, really skills-focused um, when it comes to, like, the survival or, or, or all those things. Again, that dirty S word. Um but, you know, I'm no expert, but in my opinion, I think the only survival skill that would really matter in the end times would be, like, our ability to get along with other people mm -hmm. and, like, to, to combine knowledge. I mean, that's just, that's the way it works. The lone wolf thing is, is nuts, and the Kree are an awesome example of that. Yeah. One example of the lone wolf where it does work, uh, Charles Bronson in the movie Death Hunt. <laughs> That's true. As I, the I mad trapper that. Albert Johnson, but he just kicks the crap out of everybody who crosses his path. That's and, true. And yeah, there's there's nothing Charles Bronson. But that's the goal, do. right? That's what we're all here to learn how to do. <laughs> to emulate Charles Bronson. Yeah, uh, yeah. In all Not to be a lone wolf, just to emulate Charles Bronson. Yeah. That's true. All right. That's true. As long as we're clear on that fact. World's toughest guy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um. <laughs> Skill versus culture. Yeah. Uh, the um, modern survival industry, people like to isolate different skill sets and you know, pull, pull them out of, say, a, a cultural uh, aspect and teach sort of one-off skills, right? But kind of the thing that we try to do at Jack Mountain, instead of pulling them apart to teach one-off skills, is take those one-off skills and put them together into a more cultural context. And that's, you know, in a nutshell, the, the underpinnings of our nine-week semester, right? Where we're trying to teach things in context so it's not just... Here's how you make a bow fire, which, you know, if someone hands you a bow and shows you how to do the physical motion, you know, maybe that's 5% of the entire thing, of all that goes into making a bow you know, maybe 70% of it is choosing the right wood, wandering around the forest, looking for not only the right species of tree, but, you know, it's got to be dead, it's got to be not rotten, it's got to be, you know, maybe it's better if it's higher up than lower to the ground or if it's along a, a cut line or a field. You know, there's so there's so many different things that go into it. And kind of our thing is to try to put those things together and have it <clears throat> fit in into a cultural context so that it's more real. Right. So it's not just sort of a one off. Here's how you do this. Um, but I'm curious what you guys took away from you know, learning, learning with David and Anna and Lawrence for the week and, and, you know, how the impact of culture, the effect of culture on what the experience was for you. Uh, it's not so much a, the first thing I've got is not so much a Lawrence, David and Anna, but it was ties into what you were saying about the bow drill and that, um, our first time going out with Lawrence setting trap lines, um, right before we got onto deep snow, the binding of my snowshoe broke. And, you know, that's not a big deal at the time because I understood how a binding was supposed to work and could in about five minutes fix it in a way that 
I wouldn't have been able to do if all I knew how to do was put on a pair of snowshoes and walk. But because I understood how the binding is supposed to function and how it's built, I could take one of my 50 bandanas out of my backpack and make it make it work again. You know, not in a way that would have been permanent, but for the rest of that trip, it worked out okay. What was the question again? <laughs> I don't know. Just your kind of your what you took away from from how you experienced the Cree culture as opposed to if it had been say like one-off skills. Mm-hmm. Like when, say when we were out setting snowshoe hair snares with Lawrence, mm-hmm. it wasn't just about say here's a, here's how you do it three steps A B C. You know he was talking about snaring he was talking about rabbits and their habits mm-hmm. he was you know as part of their culture as a as a hunter quiet always quiet in the forest never making a lot of noise and mm-hmm. and just you know kind of what you took away from that the difference between mm-hmm. one-off skills versus here is a skill in the context of its mother culture yeah so maybe um like mastery versus general knowledge is, is one of the things I walked away with. You know, I've been kind of pursuing these kind of things. Um, and I've learned, you know, been to a few different schools and like encountered a few different teachers and, um, you know, like learn from people who have varying degrees of experience, all of whom I might add have more experience than myself, but who have various um, degrees of skill with a certain area. And so, you know, to take the trapping, you know, like, you know, I've been out with guys who have, have trapped for, for like, you know, a significant amount of time. Um, but that that's such a different thing than like what the Cree do again, because like someone who's like, you know, like I've trapped my whole life. But like, again, like the stakes, like their, their life is never dependent on that. So that doesn't mean that like they don't have a good knowledge of it or like they can't teach it to other people. But like watching um, Lawrence when he's like setting traps and um, again, like it wasn't like. We weren't taking a class. He wasn't like, "Hey, here's steps one, two, and three. Like we were just following him. <laughs> he walked very fast. He was a, he was a fast walker. So most of our days involved trying to keep up with Lawrence as he was cruising through the woods. And for um, listeners out there in podcast land, Lawrence is like seventy years old. He's an old man. He's an older he, guy. He's weathered. <laughs> he's weathered. He's a salty he's a, dog. He's a tough old guy. That's he's for a sure. salty dog. But yeah, like uh, to try to keep up with him on snowshoes would yeah. be a challenge yeah. for. I, yeah. I've never met him, but I see the pictures of those people running around in those little mini snowshoes on pack trails <laughs> wearing all spandex. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> I don't think they could keep up with no, him either. I know. No, he was awesome. But but yeah, there's like um, so again, like not knocking on on anyone in our culture who teaches these things but again like these 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 guys these people who have like this has been their culture like it's just a whole new level of of mastery of these things and like that line is pretty thin between somebody who's like really good at something and someone who's like a master of it um and like lawrence you know to him snaring rabbits is like he's done that his whole life he he is a master of it he's dependent on it like he goes out there and like he needs to catch rabbits like to bring back so that like people can survive you know a cold winter like that was his reality you know for for a long time you know again now like the career more in the modern world and like you know we're we're out there and it's not like we're not going to eat you know if if we don't bring rabbits back at night you know we ate awesome every night they took really good care of us um but still lawrence grew up in that world where that was his culture and where that had to happen so like watching him do these things it's difficult to explain i I don't quite know how to how to put what i was what i was seeing into words but like i was watching a master um, of these things and it's not because what he was doing was complex it's because what he was doing was so simple 
he had he had gotten rid of anything that was unnecessary, any superfluous detail, any like showmanship or like anything like that. It was non-existent. Like he just grabbed some sticks and we would come back in the afternoon and he he caught a rabbit with a small piece of wire. You know, it was it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think what you're talking about and what you experience when you go spend time with the. Uh, this culture, for example, is the sort of, I would go so far as to say the Zen of yeah. bushcraft or the Zen of outdoor mm-hmm. living where, like you say, there's no showmanship. There's no, there's no superfluous motion. Yeah. Everything that isn't essential is carved away and isn't done. Mm-hmm. You know, Even like, words. I mean, Lawrence probably said, what, 35 words? All maybe 100 words in yeah. eight days. <laughs> Lawrence is, uh, for those of you in podcast land, a man of few words and his yeah. best we, he just was <laughs> cracking us up. His best one, we sat down to dinner one night, and he ate, I don't even remember what the dish was, but he ate like two or three two or three bites, and then he sort of said, mmm, tastes like food. <laughs> that was all he said the entire evening. Hilarious. Yeah, right. Hilarious. Tastes and like food. I would say the, uh, one, of the, one of the sort of um, uh, bits of modern... Um, Gospel's not the right word, but I'm struggling for a word here. But one of those things that is sort of unquestioned in the modern world is, you know, it's such a vast, uh, living outdoors is such a vast uh, body of knowledge. Nobody could know it all. And I said on a video years ago, and I'll say it again now, I'm throwing the bullshit flag down there. (laughs) that If you live off the land your whole life and you're 70 years old as these guys are, you know it all, or at least everything that you need to know, right? Uh, you know, in the modern world, people will go around from primitive skills gathering to school to wherever, and they have this huge checklist of skills that are sort of a random amalgamation of what they think they need to know to live off the country. And it's, you know, it's like a checklist. Okay, uh, brain tanning, check, got that. Now I need to learn rabbit snaring, check, got that. And now I need to learn how to make clothing or whatever check got that but you know the reality is for these people and in this culture that um they know what they need and everything that's not necessary sort of falls away and and isn't paid attention to and that is just super super refreshing you know where it's not a sort of you know this big bundle of skills and checklists and Mm -hmm. need this need this need this but but rather it's you know looking at what's needed and and they know what's needed because they learned it from their grandparents and from their grandparents' grandparents, and they've never been removed from their land. So, uh, you know, I equate in, when I'm speaking to people about these trips up north with David and Anna, you know, I say, what would it be like to go back in time and go out on the plains and hunt buffalo with the Sioux? I mean, you're out setting fish nets and trapping beaver and snaring hares up there uh, with these folks. It's the same thing, right? They've never been displaced from their land. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so anything else about the experience, guys? Uh, I liked all the little, I don't want to call them comic, but they kind of were. Um, just little things here and there where they would talk about parts of doing a different task that were just like little little bits of trivia that were interesting. Like the otter paw game was fun where like when they catch an otter, um, when they're skinning it out, they take the paws and brush their face with it and then throw it up in the air. And depending on how the paws land, that's telling them if they'll get another otter. Um, talking if, about... If I had known that, you know, back a 
trap an otter, I would have saved thousands of dollars that I blew on Miss Cleo <laughs> to tell me my fortune, like, you know, TV, yeah. TV psychics and all. Well, it, she's got to make a living, too, so. Yeah. At, who, I think she's behind bars now, too. <laughs> <laughs> Making a living there the hard way in yeah. prison, right? But yeah, stuff like that. And then uh, the the rabbit yarn was really, really interesting, where she just skinned it, and it looked so simple while she was doing it and then she had this long piece of rabbit skin that she rolled in the yarn and made me wear like a beard but just little stuff like that was really I think we're gonna have to get that photo is gonna have to be the uh oh, God. the picture like the right. featured image for this podcast right, i have to go dig that up <laughs> yeah i think my big takeaway of like just being kind of in, invited into that that way of life and like seeing these people's experiences as like they just had like such a rich experience of life, you know, like, um, that's, I mean, they've had a very hard life, you know, like hard in ways that like, I can't understand, you know, like there's definitely, you know, you talk to people and there's like, there's a little bit of pain there, you know, it's been, it's been a struggle for them and like their way of life is now, you know, been forever changed, you know, their kids are now growing up, you know, they know what iPhones are and they have Facebooks and, um, and so their way of life is never going to, gonna die but it's it's changed a little bit but like at the same time like you see that little bit of pain like there's just like this depth of like experience of life you know like just this richness um it's really really awesome and like really encourages me to like keep pursuing the things um you know just to keep learning about all this stuff you know i i i don't have any you know delusions that i could ever live a lifestyle like them you know like there's no hunting grounds for ben you know i can't go out there and and even you know now like in our country there's there's hunting and fishing laws like you can't you know you can't live off deer in maine you know you're allowed to take two bucks a year that's not going to feed you it's not going to feed a family um but still like pursuing these things um just because like it it enhances my understanding of the world and it like deepens my appreciation for what is you know my understanding of the world and just like how awesome it is you know how man i can go out there on that lake and like get this thing that'll feed me and sustain me and like if i take care of this water like i can drink it and it it won't hurt me and like that's just really really cool stuff and like the cree understand that like from birth and like you can hear it in every word you can hear it in all their stories you can see it when they take you out and show you things like they love that stuff you know and again it's their culture it's not it's not a hobby and that's really refreshing and cool you know in the whole bushcraft world or whatever again not not knocking not knocking the industry or anything but it's just a completely different thing to see these people who really live with it um it's awesome yeah and they they laugh a lot more than we do they're always laughing all of them yeah um if i laugh half as much as any of them when i'm that when i'm older i'll be i'll be happy with life yeah they're awesome we laughed a lot on the trip though yeah but not the same way they did (laughs) theirs was pure ours was filthy and a little cheap a little cheap a little cheap yeah theirs was just just every sentence a lot cheap a lot lot, yeah real cheap (laughs) real cheap like clan mcgregor scotch cheap Mm. um but yeah there's like every sentence they had almost it was like a punctuation mark at the end of it where there was just a little laugh at the end of every every conversation and that was that was something i've never seen that anywhere else yeah our uh latin motto i think it's still in the it's on our blog page yeah i can't remember exactly what it is right now but trans uh, in latin translated is live well outdoors and i think you'd be hard pressed to find 
people who live better and enjoy life more outdoors than, than our friends to the north. Anyway, that kind of wraps up our, you know, what we had planned on talking about here for episode 18. Um, you can, if you're interested in going up, we'll put a link to David and Anna's uh, webpage in the show notes. And we'll, you know, might be taking another trip up there next winter. Um, tough to say because we got back yesterday and not, excuse me, not scheduled for anything yet. But, but uh, you know, a truly unique experience and... And I would say, you know, this experience has a shelf life because uh, David and Anna, last generation to be born in the bush, not to say that their kids won't maintain the, the business and still teach people about Cree culture, Cree lifestyle, but, but you know, for the, the people who've lived it their entire life, you know, as we mentioned, the, the younger generation lives like many other people do in 2017 you know worried about car payments and mm -hmm. if their phone is gonna keep working and whatever and and here's a group of people you know raised in raised in tents as nomadic hunters and and you know the there's a shelf life to it you know yeah. for whatever yeah. else so again this is uh tim smith ben spencer christopher russell episode 18 of the jack mountain pushcraft uh, podcast so thank you very much for listening and we'll be back at you soon